At the uh, close of uh, Billy Graham's first uh, London crusade, a Church of England clergyman said that uh, Billy had set Christianity back a hundred years. And uh, when he heard of this, uh, Graham said, I am disappointed. I had hoped to set it back 2,000 years. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes we need to look back in order to know our way ahead. Sometimes we need to look back to the original plan. And uh, that's what uh, we're doing this morning. We're going back, we're going back all the way to where we have Jesus' first recorded mention of the word church. There's this conversation going on that uh, Moss uh, read for us. Jesus and his uh, closest disciples, his apostles, and uh, they're gathered they're together at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And so Jesus is saying, well, what, you know what, what are people saying about me anyway? And uh, who do they say I am? And they respond, they say, well, some are saying this or some are saying that. And, and then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then we have Peter's historic confession in verse 16. I think that's where we, uh, well, we left off just after that in verse 16 where he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying that this precise insight could only come to you, Peter, if it came from my Father in heaven. And then it's at this point that Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, that's verse 18, and on this rock I will build my church. Now I think you know and I know that there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of wrestling with what in the world it means that I will build my church on this rock because the word Peter does mean stone. And then Jesus says, I'm going to build it on this rock. And uh, I love those kind of conversations we could have over coffee about that. But I think uh, not to be distracted by that this morning. I, I want us to look at these five words that Jesus left with them here. I will build my church. It's a mission statement that Jesus is, ma is making in just a matter of days, he's going to die on the cross. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven at, and, uh, at the right hand of the Father and then send the Holy Spirit. And uh, Peter then is the one who is the spokesperson. He proclaims the Christ, the Jesus story. And literally thousands respond. And the New Testament church is born. Being in the place of all authority, the risen Lord begins then to build the church and he has continued that building project around the world ever since. And that is why we're here today. 
Jesus has been building his church here, your congregation, these number of years. And I want to highlight a personal comment right now. I want to say that he is not going to stop, even though now we are in a period of transition. He is going to continue to build his church among us. And we would want to pray for wisdom so that we will be in the place where he can, you know, write the next chapter of our life. Four years ago, Marty and I had a very meaningful privilege and perhaps one of the most meaningful landmarks in our Christian ministry. We were invited back to Brownfield where we had served for uh, just over four years back in the 80s. And the occasion that we, along with many other former pastors and members, were invited, they were celebrating their 100 years as a church. And they're going strong today. They were going strong already, and they have continued all these years. Jesus building his church in a rural community. And so here he is today building our church, Ambleside Baptist Church. And uh, I, think it's, I think the Brownfield story is quite remarkable because when you think of the last hundred years, my goodness, so much has changed. And yet this church, 104 years ago, was started. And here it is today going strong. But looking at these five key words this morning, I will build my church. I'm going to give you a very simple outline. I like to have, um, I like to do my sermons in simple outlines so that I know what I'm saying, you know, so that I can understand what I'm saying, okay? But here are the five, the three we're going to talk about. I will build my church. I will build my church. And then thirdly, I will build my church. Simple enough for me? I think so. But beginning with church, I will build my church. The word literally meant those who were called out. And in the New Testament, it usually meant Christian congregations in a, in a specific region or locality, such as the church at Corinth or the church in Jerusalem or the church in Philippi. As we had reference to church in Macedonia, there it was a larger region uh, but it referred to usually a specific locality. But it was also used to refer to all believers everywhere. For example, Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. People will inevitably ask, so uh, where is your church? And you know, if we were going to um, answer that using the biblical meaning of church, and it was during the course of the week, we'd probably have to say something like this. Well, I guess right now our church is sort of all over the place. Some pieces are over in some offices, and some are in uh, schools and universities, and some are in their homes. But on Sunday morning, between the hours of nine and one, let's say, our church assembles in the Riverbend Community Center. That would be a more biblical usage of the word. One church sign in Winnipeg, beside the church building there, the sign read simply this, Meeting Place of Moral Gospel Church. 
I like that. Not pointing to the nice church building as the church, but recognizing and announcing in very simple terms, this is where this particular church meets. Meeting place. Good biblical thinking. For the church is not the building, but it's the body. Not a construction, but a congregation. Not the premises, but the people when they meet on the premises. The church is followers of Christ in their togetherness. And so here today, Ambleside Baptist Church is here. Again, not the building, but you are the church. And we sang that, all of us together, we are the church. Now I know that most of us know this in our heads, but is it real to us? What is our immediate reflex thought when the word church comes to us? Does it really matter? You know, I'm not concerned about the semantics here, but I am concerned about the thinking behind it. And I suggest that in we probably don't really have this kind of a problem because we meet here only once a week and it's not exactly a churchy type of an atmosphere. So perhaps we are a little more aware of it than, than a lot of people that the church is not the place here. But I suggest that when people don't fully, you know, automatically, uh, almost like a, an automatic reflex, think the church is the people, it might somehow distract them and limit them. It might they might sort of think that it's here especially that I can meet with God and this is the, the almost like a magic place. Or it might restrict what we're permitted to do in the building. We had better tiptoe. We better not laugh. We can't be normal and God forbid that children should make noise because this is God's holy temple. This is God's temple. And our, in our togetherness, that's God's temple. I suggest it might also prevent us from being as strategic as we might be otherwise, particularly if we were planning our church, first church building. Particularly if we might even be planning our lo location. Christian Week, uh, only a th about three years ago, carried a report about an interdenominational congregation that is partnered with uh, the C2C C2C, C2C Church Planting Network, as well as the Canadian Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches. The church is called the Living Room, and it gathers for worship at Reggie's Bar on the campus of Concordia University in Montreal. The church planter is Michael Jones. He started an outreach ministry at Concordia that led to 12 young people becoming Christians. The group started a Bible study that eventually turned into a house church in jo Jones's home. Well, back in 2007, a student that was part of that uh, group, that church, suggested that Reggie's bar might be an interesting place to meet for worship on Easter Sunday. Well, the manager of Reggie's he's, was kind of skeptical, but he told the group that, well, if you clean the place up, then you can use the space. Well, the worship was uh, scheduled for 6 p.m. and Jones and his group showed up at noon to start cleaning. 
And this is what he says, Reggie's after a Saturday night is not a pleasant place to be. There were corners of that bar that I don't think had seen the light of day in decades. It was just nasty. At about 3 p.m., the bar manager walked in and he flipped out. He had never seen that bar look so clean. And I told him we just wanted to leave it better than we found it. And so it goes. They clean it and they get to use it for free. We're called to downtown and that's we're called to be downtown and that's where we are and that's what we reflect, he says. Michael Jones, the church planter, adding that when they received the use of the bar, he saw it as God giving us territory in a dark place. Strategic. Strategic thinking. Freedom. Because they know that the church is not the building. Well, the other uh, Friday, actually, I called my friend Paul Beliski in Grand Prairie. He's a retired uh, missionary from, uh, he and his wife, uh, from uh, Ethiopia. And uh, their home church is McLaurin Baptist Church in Grand Prairie. And that's the church that, uh, well, I would have liked it to have been my home church. It was the greener grass, you know, for me. But we lived out in the country and we were part of another church. But I often went there. And I remember when they built their building, their, you know, the recent building, uh, probably about 1968 that they built it. And many, many times since then, uh, we've worshipped there. We've been part of that. Well, I knew that they had done something else, so I wanted to talk to Paul about the details. And he said that they were running out of Sunday school space and that there was a new regulation that took effect where there was a ratio that they had to honor, a ratio between the actual space in the room and the number of kids that could be in that classroom. And it was really difficult for them, and they found they were even turning people away because they had to follow those regulations. So even though they got this really nice, good building, they started to look for another place. So they had their eye on a warehouse in the, in the city, and uh, they were serious about that, but somebody beat them to it. Somebody else got that warehouse. But then in just a few days after they lost the opportunity to buy the warehouse, they found that there was a bingo hall that was available, and they bought it. But you see, the, per, the, the pursuing the warehouse sort of opened their, their minds, their imagination, broadened their imagination, and now they were ready to purchase the bingo hall. And Paul told me that it took them just three months to renovate it. And now they're in a place where they have parking space, they have Sunday school space, and we've been there. There's it's good worship space. They got all of it. And not only that, but that nice church building that they had before, the Ukrainian Catholics bought that. And they didn't have to do very much with it because of their style of worship and tradition. Yeah, they put up a, a steeple that hadn't been there before. And they're very happy. And the Baptists are very happy. Win-win for both parties. But you see, when you think of Reggie's bar, when you think of that bingo hall, I think there are two illustrations there that are very important. The one, of course, is that the church is the Christian community, the faith community that's made a commitment to be together, regardless of the venue, right? But the second thing, it's an example 
both of them, of being strategic. That's important. These two examples would only happen if the people in the church were firm on the meaning of church. If somehow they associated the idea of church with a certain kind of a building, they wouldn't have that freedom to move and to be strategic. I will build my church. I will redeem, I will create a people consisting of thousands upon thousands of Christian faith communities all around the world, meeting together in innumerable kinds of venues and with an infinitely varied kinds of expressions and ways of doing worship. I will build my church. But secondly, I will build my church. Not, not your church, Peter, or James, or John, but my church. The church doesn't belong to a denomination as Lutheran or Catholic or Maronite or Baptist. It doesn't belong to the pastor or the deacon's board or the elders. It doesn't belong to the charter members or to any person or family with a lot of influence. And too often people assume that the church is their church, my church. Now there's a healthy ownership that says that you know, this is my church and I want to do my best for its benefit. When our church does well, I feel good for I'm part of it. When it does badly, I feel badly for I'm part of it. I'm responsible in part for the well-being of this church. But there's also an unhealthy possessiveness, a mind that assumes this is my church, we were here first, it is our church. An attitude that doesn't want to let go of its territory that doesn't want to adjust to a new day. It can be a controlling pastor. It can be an organist that has had the job for 50 years. It can be a treasure that decides which checks can be written. It can be a wealthy parishioner who has disproportionate influence. It can be charter members who say, you know, we've never done it that way which means, of course, and we're not going to start now. Mark Buchanan, prof at Ambrose University College in Calgary now, but for many years he was lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Duncan, B.C. It's one of our Canadian Baptist churches. And he's the author of many, many helpful books. And in this particular book, Your Church is Too Safe, <laughs> suggestive title, he relates says there was a young lady in our church who moved to another city to attend university. I knew of a good church in that city. The word was preached there. I recommended that she try it. Her first Sunday, she arrived early and took a seat near the front. A few minutes later, a couple walked in and stood over her. She looked up and asked if she was in their seat. Yeah. She got up and moved three rows back. The next person just told her straight up, you're sitting in my seat. She moved again, this time to the other side of the sanctuary and further back. 
Shortly another couple came, sat in the pew directly in front of her and turned and glowered at her. Am I in your seat? Yes, you are. This has been my seat for 40 years. She got up, she sat in the balcony, and of course, she never came back to that church. But do you suppose that these people forgot who really owns the church? Or could it be that they had never even processed it? What Jesus had said, I will build my church. Buchanan says, I told the story in our church, names disguised. And I said to the people, if ever someone is sitting in your seat, consider it a divine appointment. God's given you a lunch date. Afterwards, he says, several people shared with me how that one challenge opened up some new friendships. I will build my church. Karen Stiller, a frequent writer in Faith Today, which I was promoting this morning, asked this question, is it our church that we must protect from Ill, Ill, Ill infiltrators who might want to change some hymns or take our favorite pews? Or is it our Father's house where we are the temporary hosts? Yeah. Now, since he's the owner, it follows as a matter of course that our call is to manage it according to his interests and values rather than our preferences. It follows that we see ourselves as submissive stewards rather than possessive owners, dare I say, controllers. We may prefer to be cozy in our own network of our own kind of people, but what does our owner want? What does he say is important in the church? The church is people. The owner cares and values people, and he wants to do church in a way that sees people one to himself and then developed in their faith. And so he calls us to do church in a way that looks beyond ourselves, loving and developing close relationships with one another for sure, and yet at the same time having that outward posture, that outward leaning. Now it's intriguing that this exchange between Jesus and Peter and the other disciples took place in Caesarea Philippi, for it was as pagan a territory as one could find. It was famous for its grotto, which means cave, where people worshipped the Greek god Pan. Interesting that this expression of his mission statement didn't take place in Jerusalem or in the context fitting religious Judaism or the best of Judaism, because he was still in, he was still, that's what he was. But it took place in a pagan setting. Symbolic, maybe, that the mission, the building of his church, will be an outreach to the very ends of the earth, a universal mission. A mission that welcomes all who receive the invitation, Jews and Gentiles, and every ethnic group, and every, at every stage of life, and every status level. I will build my church.
church. And then finally, I will build my church. Maybe, maybe we should assume certain things here that were unsaid, you know. Maybe, maybe he's saying, you know, I'll build my church provided you apostles get your act together. Or if Satan and his hosts don't get too strong, I will build my church as long as martyrdom doesn't cut down too many of my people. Or I will build my church if enough Christians remain faithful through the centuries, then I will be able to build my church. It doesn't say that, does it? There are no ifs or buts or maybes here. But he says, I will build my church. And just a few days later, after his death and resurrection, he will commission them saying that all authority has been given in heaven and on earth to me. And on that basis, go, make disciples, be my agents, be my tools for the building of my church. All authority that he needs in God's universe. There isn't a force, spiritual or physical, natural or supernatural, that will keep it from happening. I will build my church, no question. Individual local churches come and go for various reasons. The owner can take the torch and pass it to other churches if he so desires. And of course, we've all seen much of this shuffle as we look back not that many years. Some churches are really growing and it seems that he's really building others are shrinking and sometimes it's a matter of demographics as populations shift i mentioned the church in brownfield and it is almost a miracle that a church in the country with so fewer many fewer people now than before can still be strong a hundred years later there are demographic shifts, and we, we realize that. That ch changes things. But I wonder if sometimes it has to do with the inability to relate to the culture as it changes. You know, part of the responsibility of reaching people is to be able to communicate according to their cultural mother tongue. And that's a reality. That's part of our responsibility. And I suggest that sometimes when churches fail, it has something to do with forgetting who the owner is. You know? Where it's got to be our church, our kind of a church. And so perhaps that is reason why he lets them drink and he uses others that are more faithful to his values. The one who said, I will build my church. I'm confident, as I said earlier, that you will continue to be part of his building plan in the future. You've persevered all these years. You've been visionary. And that says a lot. And I'm confident that whatever the next chapter looks like, he will use us to continue to build his church. He will continue to build his church. And he's doing it in many varied expressions of his church. Many different languages, many different denominations, many different styles of venues, many different styles of worship, I should say, as well as many venues. Something that has shifted is the center of gravity 
the Christian center of gravity seems to be shifting from northern from the northern to the southern hemisphere. Uh, just um, only a, uh, two years ago, actually, uh, this uh, an associate editor of Christianity Today reported on Cuba and says this: Cuba was was once feared as an exporter of communist revolution. Now it is poised to export Christianity. This spring, the Baptists sent out Cuba's first full-time missionaries in 54 years. Center of gravity shifting. He will continue to build it from the north partly, but maybe even more in the next few generations from the south. There was an article that I read in Christianity Day a few, few years ago. It was so inspiring that I just had to send some copies to different people. And uh, it, it was about what's going on in what, what used to be East Germany. Now it's all just Germany, but used to be East Germany. The article is called The Other Iranian Revolution. It turns out that multitudes, actually in the thousands of Muslims, have come from Iran and are being converted to Christianity in Germany. <laughs> and there's a certain pattern in many, many cases. They report seeing a figure of light, sometimes bearing the features of Christ, sometimes not. But these individuals instantly know who he is. He, is, he always makes it clear that he is Jesus of the Bible and he directs them to specific pastors, priests, congregations, or house churches where they later hear the gospel. One leader comments, God sticks to the Reformation doctrine that faith comes by receiving the word through scripture and preaching. In these dreams, Jesus never engages in hocus-pocus, but he sends these people to where the word is faithfully proclaimed. But you think of the irony what used to be communist Germany is the very place where thousands of Muslims are becoming Christians. There was a retired Lutheran bishop who quipped in, in the context of uh, seven Muslims uh, being baptized. And, uh, and this is what he said, and it's a bit of a paraphrase from, uh, from uh, Psalm 2 verse 4, but he said that God must have been laughing up his sleeve. <laughs> and that's what you have in Psalm chapter 2. It talks about the Lord who is enthroned in heaven is going to laugh and mock and so on. He's building his church. The church will endure until Christ's return and there's no opposition, even persecution and widespread martyrdom that can prevent the ultimate triumph of God's purpose in history. And that is not to say that there won't continue to be persecution, that there won't continue to be martyrs. In a world of evil, there's a cost to being on the side of good. And in this very passage that we read part of it today, in that very context, in the next few verses, he explains to the apostles that he will have to be crucified and then also, as he goes on, he tells that his followers also will have to take up the cross. They will have to carry the cross as they follow him. And so as followers of the crucified Christ, 
we have to accept that the cause is more important than our earthly lives. As I conclude, I know that we all want our short lives to count. We want to be part of something that goes beyond the few years that we have here. And the building of his church is that something that is forever. The one cause that will triumph. He will build it. He'll build it with me or without me. He will build it with you or without you. But the greatest news for us personally is that we can be part of it. If I confess as Peter that you are the Christ, and then I embrace him as my Savior and I follow him as my Lord, the King of his kingdom, and participate in his mission, serving him, then I am a part. I can be a part. I will continue to be a part of the building of his church. I am, I will continue to be a flawed, inadequate Christian worker, but I can play a part on the team, and so can you. I close with the words of an older gospel song that finishes like this. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice. We've settled the question. We've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out songs of victory for God's church triumphant is alive and well. Let's continue to be part of it. And the issue ultimately is the Lordship of Christ. He is the risen Lord. He is building his church. And the call from him is that we continue, that we begin if we haven't, but then that we continue to give our full allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's sing about